Welcome to Explorations of the Heart and Soul, guided meditations by Australian Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. Most of you will be familiar with the basic teachings of Buddhism, which you can basically group into two. The, uh, the wisdom teachings or practices and the compassion teachings or practices. So the wisdom teachings or practices are sometimes called the, the, the prajna teachings or the emptiness teachings and practices, such as what is caught in the, the famous Heart Sutra. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Uh, those wisdom teachings are seeing into the impermanence and insubstantiality of all conditioned existence, including the personal self. And then the, um, the compassion teachings um, are also building on or flowing from the wisdom teachings, emphasizing the interdependence and interconnectedness of all existence, including ourselves. And so the two sort of mutually support and complement each other all the time. It's kind of like we're always kind of working with the two teachings and practices. Sometimes I call them the, the existential practices or the existential kind of aspects of Zen and the communal aspects of Zen. <clears throat> so um, the practice of Zazen itself is, is kind of like it's both, it's both a wisdom practice and a communal practice. And that's one of the interesting things about it. So it brings the two together in the one kind of practice. You know, even though we're not... Um, <clears throat> Uh, even though we're not talking to each other in Zazen normally, um, we're sitting together. And, uh, and it's a very much a communal practice in that sense. Um, the, um, now, on Sunday, we were discussing Echo Dharma. And, um, and Echo Dharma, it... it, it on Sunday, you know, we could see we were touching on it can also bring up a lot of um, painful grief, uh, despair at times, sometimes too. And um, so it's really about how our, our Zen practice can um, help us uh, to support ourselves to, to face that sort of pain which may come up and uh, and to engage in, what, in what, what, whichever ways we can to address that issue. And, um, and again, so the wisdom teachings and the, and the compassion teachings flow into that as well. So in these times of COVID, you know, where the mental health services are really stretched and there's a lot of mental distress, um, in order to face things like the echo crisis, we really need to be nurturing strong and resilient selves and um, as distinct from egocentric selves or, or an egocentric communities. Um, so wanting to build resilient, compassionate selves and resilient, compassionate communities as opposed to egocentric selves in egocentric communities. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I'm going to talk about, not this morning in, in much depth, but um, perhaps 
the next time we meet again, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, is in my, in my therapy practice, I meet with a lot of people where, um, where self-hate comes up a lot. And um, so self-hate manifests in a lot of different ways. It could be a sense of personal inadequacy, personal defectiveness, uh, personal failure, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not good enough. Um, um, so a lot of people these days talk about the imposter syndrome. Um, and this is very common. It comes up a lot in my therapy practice. And I'm sure if there are other therapists here today that they would also come up. You probably come across it with your friends as well and in your own life. I've certainly, uh, certainly uh, that's come up a lot for me in my, in my professional life too. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's good to kind of like reflect and, on the origins of, 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 of this kind of self-hate, which totally surprised the Dalai Lama when he first came to the West. He wasn't just really used to that, that idea. And uh, there's, I guess there's lots of ways of understanding that, but you could, you could break it down into two basic ways how that arises. One is through a, a relational devaluation. So we could be devalued as a child growing up in our family, or we could be devalued in an intimate relationship. And that sense of devaluation undermines our sense of self-worth or self-esteem and creates all these various forms of self-hate, which we then internalize and, and identify with. And, um, um, and the other way of understanding it is to see it as a cultural phenomenon. You know, we live in a, a culture which is very much evaluative, uh, competitive, and uh, sets up people to experience themselves as failures in all kinds of different ways. So again, uh, as part of our Zen practice, we want to undermine that sense of, or that sense of self-hate and, and, and shift to a sense of self-compassion or self-acceptance. And we want to create more compassionate communities where we can build resilience uh, and a sense of positivity and connection rather than this sense of separateness and devaluation and failure. And uh, so these two things, uh, the insubstantiality of self and the connection through our communal practices are really central to this work. So I will stop my talk there and um, in terms of our sitting practice today, I'll just play around a little bit with, um, I guess, the insubstantiality of self and how that, including, you know, when we, just the simple, simple practice of sitting with sensations, seeing into that flow of insubstantiality, impermanence, can really help us to um, also see how self-hate itself is insubstantial as well and uh, to help us free ourselves from that kind of identification. All right, so I'll just go and get my uh, little bell. Hang on.
So just uh, settling into your posture. Sitting in relative stillness. Settling into the silence. And at the same time, feeling the subtle movements and the sounds. So we'll just sit in silence for a few minutes while you settle into your, into your posture. So imagine we're all sitting in a bus or a train and take our seat. Only in this case, in this journey, we're staying perfectly still, sitting in the same spot. And there's nothing really moving except our mind. So there is stillness in movement and movement in stillness. We're still, but everything is moving. If we were, if we were to look out of the window of our imaginary bus or train, we would see scenery flashing by. In the same way, in our stillness, the scenery is flashing by form of sensations, feelings, thoughts, memories, imaginings, all flowing swiftly by. Sounds coming and going. Visual images whether they be in our minds or whether they're clouds in the sky come and go, passing traffic sounds come and go. So even our stillness is only relatively still. Our belly is always rising and falling with the breath. There might be a slight swaying motion of the upper torso. But still we maintain our stillness with our posture, 
the feet on the floor or on the mat, sitting on the chair or the cushion, forming that kind of tripod, which allows us just to relax and feel the flow. Enjoy the ride. In our practice, of course, the destination is irrelevant. There's nowhere to go, no one to be, other than just this moment. Be still and feel the movement, be silent and hear the sounds. Enjoy the ride. Just allow business as usual or our agenda for the day, our plans, just let them go, let them melt, let them dilute into the background. This immense vastness that we are when we sit in silence and stillness. Thoughts will arise, thoughts will disappear. Let them all be diluted in this great web of interconnectedness, this great vastness of this present moment.
Sazen could even be seen as a form of play. It's nothing to be gained, nothing to be accomplished. We're just sitting for the sake of sitting, playing for the sake of playing, just enjoying the dance of life, the immediacy of the moment, the vitality of this moment. Relaxing the belly. Let the breath moving the belly connect you to the rhythms of nature. The cycles of the seasons. The rising and falling of the waves. Open the heart. Open that which is most inner, most sacred. And smile, feel the smile. Feel your sense of connectedness and goodwill towards yourself and others. It's okay to enjoy sitting. Dogen called it the Dharma gate of ease and joy.
Zazen is the doorway to liberation from the egocentric prison. There is nothing lacking in Zazen. It's only egocentricity makes it so. Egocentricity arises from fear, separation. Devaluation. Sazen teaches the appreciation and valuation of life. First precept, cherish all life, appreciate this life that we are. It's already complete. There's nothing we can add to life. Whatever comes up in our practice, just let it come. If sadness comes, roll with the sadness. If anxiety comes, let the anxiety come. If tightness is present, let tightness be present. We just open the door. And trust in the Zazen. Zazen helps us to hold ourselves like the mother holds an infant. Zazen accepts ourselves exactly as we are, with no expectations or requirements. It's a healing process. <clears throat> 